A few weeks ago, our students went to Ridgecrest Conference Center for a retreat. One of the speakers at that conference, at that retreat, was a man by the name of Sean McDowell. Now, I, I don't know if uh, Sean shared uh, much of the story, the background of his family, especially of his father. His father, Josh McDowell, um, well, Josh McDowell was an atheist. He didn't, he didn't even believe really that there was a God. And then he set out to investigate the claims of Christ. His goal in the investigation was to finally be the one that put an end to all of this myth about Jesus. This, this, is, this is myth, this is fable, this is fairy tale. Let's put an end to it. And so Josh McDowell set out in his investigation. And what he discovered in his investigation was that the accounts of the gospel of Jesus Christ were absolutely true. He came to faith in Jesus as a result of his investigation of the claims of Christ and the claims of Christianity. There's another man by the name of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel, an, an atheist, has a journalism degree from the University of Missouri, has a Master of Studies in Law from Yale Law School. Those are some pretty prestigious degrees there. This is not an academic lightweight here. Lee Strobel was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune and other newspapers for 14 years, and his wife was converted to Christianity, and so Lee Strobel wanted to investigate the claims of Christ as well. And so he set out on an investigation of what Jesus had claimed to be, what the Gospels present him to be, is there reliability for the Word of God, and after that investigation of the claims of Christ, again, Lee Strobel became a Christian. You can read the story of Lee Strobel, or in fact, you can watch it. It's been a movie that's been out. Uh, it came out last weekend. It may be removed from theaters now, but came out at Easter time called The Case for Christ, where Lee Strobel presents his, his story and the evidence that he found for Christianity. And you can read it in the book, or you can watch it in the movie, the DVD, when it comes out. Josh McDowell also, he's written many books, but, but some that he's most uh, famous for, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, is what came out of his his investigation of the claim of Christ and whether Christianity was all that it was, it was touted to be. He's also written the book, More Than a Carpenter. Uh, if you have questions about the Christian faith, or if you know people who do, all of these resources are great resources to point people to in bringing them to an understanding of who Jesus is and to understand that there is reliable evidence for the person, the work of Jesus Christ, and the message of the gospel. Well, this morning, I invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 1, of course, we're in verse 1, so that kind of gives you a clue, knowing the way that I do things and the way that the Lord leads uh, in, in my understanding of the presentation of Scripture. You can surmise from this that we're beginning a study in the Gospel of Luke this morning, and indeed we are, and we're discovering what these men, Lee Strobel and Josh McDowell, discovered is that there is certainty in the Gospel. Luke begins his gospel account with a, a presentation of what he plans to do and what he hopes to do in presenting the gospel with certainty so that people might come to believe it and know it's the case. 
Luke is the author of this gospel and also the book of Acts. Two volumes in, in one work in our, uh, in our scriptures. You can, you can see the similarities between them when you compare the introductions. Look at Luke chapter 1 verse 1. Luke says, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus." that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now, if you turn over in the, God, or excuse me, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, there's an introduction to the book of Acts as well that Luke writes, and he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, guess what the first book might be? The Gospel of Luke, where we are, that's the first book. Acts is the second book. And so he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so in the book of Luke and the book of Acts, you have two histories, if you will. Luke is the history, the biography of Jesus, and Acts is the history of the growth of the church. We have these two men that are referenced for us in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 1, that we read in these opening four verses. One sentence in the Greek language, a masterpiece uh, of, of language, a, a beginning of the presentation of the facts that Luke wants his reader, and ultimately his readers, to understand. Two men that we are uh, confronted with in the beginning of this. The first, of course, is Luke. And the second is this man named Theophilus. Now, interestingly enough, we know less about Theophilus than we do about Luke. But in all honesty, we really know fairly little about Luke as well. Theophilus is a Greek name, and so we know that this man Theophilus was not a Jew, but he was a Gentile. The word Gentile simply means anyone who is not Jewish. And so here we have this man Theophilus, a Greek man. His, his name literally means friend of God. It's made up of two words, Theos and Philos. Theos meaning God, Philos, Phileo, meaning a brotherly love, a friendship. And so in Theophilus you have a name that means friend of God. And as I say, we know very little about Theophilus. That's pretty much the extent of it. We know a little bit more from Luke, but not a lot more, but we do know a little bit more from Luke. Luke is mentioned three times in the New Testament. He's mentioned to us in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, uh, where Paul writes to the church at Colossae, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. And then in Paul's writing to the, church, to the person Philemon about this, uh, this, this slave situation going on, Onesimus and Philemon, Paul mentions Luke again here, where he says to Philemon, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And then Luke is mentioned a third time in Paul's very last letter, the very last thing that Paul wrote. It's 2 Timothy. It is right before Paul's execution uh, for being a follower of Christ. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, listen to what Paul writes. For Demas 
in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Now, I don't know if you noticed in those three references, Luke is not the only person who was mentioned. In fact, it's, it's of notable significance to me that there are two people mentioned in every one of these passages. Let's run through them again. You'll see the name again. Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. And then we come to Philemon chapter 1, and we read through there in verse 24, sending greetings, so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And then look at this sad statement in 2 Timothy chapter 4. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me, gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Do you catch those two names? Luke and Demas. When, when Paul writes to the Colossians, he mentions Demas, one of the, the workers that is with him, sends his greetings as well. When he writes to Philemon, Paul says that Demas, along with Luke and all of the others, this is one of my fellow workers. And then at the end of his life, we come to 2 Timothy, and now we find Luke is there alone with Paul, and Demas has fled the coop. He's gone. Friends, take note of this and understand it is not just how you start, it is how you finish in life. Luke is there throughout all of this and remains with Paul to the very end of his life. Demas is with him in the beginning. But then something happens. We don't know the extent of it. But what we do know is that Demas is one who has allowed his love with this present world to overtake his love and his commitment to Christ. And he's gone. I know it's a hypothetical question. And hypothetical questions mean absolutely nothing because we can answer them any way we want to and we haven't a clue what the truth and what reality is. But I want you to think about this and put this into your mind and remember it as your life moves on from one day to the next. You will either be a Luke or you will be a Demas. Which one will it be? Will your faith in Christ hold because you are held by Christ. Will your faith in Christ prove to be non-existent as you embrace love for this world instead? Will you be a Luke or will you be a Demas? Make the decision now that you will be a Luke. And throughout the extent of your life, even coming to the very end of it, you will stay with Christ. No matter what, you'll stay with Him. We learned some things about Luke in these references that, that I read for you. In Colossians chapter 4, we learned that Luke is a physician. That's, that's of note. That's of interest. 
We read that Paul says he is a fellow worker on these missionary journeys. And as you read through the book of Acts, you won't find Luke mentioned, but you will find the phrase we, you will find the phrase us on the encounters of Paul on his missionary journeys. Paul and Luke there together. Luke not making much of himself, content to be in the background of things, but being a fellow worker with Paul, spreading the gospel to people who are in desperate need of salvation. A fellow worker with Paul in his missionary journeys. As we noted, he sticks with Paul to the very end of his life. 2 Timothy makes it clear, Luke alone is with me. Luke is referred to by Paul as being beloved. The beloved physician greets you. It's testimony to Luke's faithfulness, not just to Paul, but to Christ as well and to the churches that they served. We know that Luke was not an apostle. An apostle, one of the twelve, chosen by Jesus, having, having learned from Jesus in his teachings, having seen the resurrected Christ. He's not one of the apostles, but he's closely associated with one through the apostle Paul. As I mentioned, Luke was a Gentile, a non-Jew. In fact, he's the only Gentile writer in all of the New Testament. And he has written one-fourth of the New Testament when you combine Luke and Acts together. Wrote more of the New Testament content-wise than even the Apostle Paul did. All of this together equips him to undertake this most ambitious volume, to set out and to investigate the claims of Christ and to discover the reality of them, to be able to present them to others. In this first volume, Luke, the biography, the history of Jesus, and in Acts, the history of the spread of the church and the work of the Spirit through him. Luke was a historian. Luke was a historian that set out to investigate the claims, and after investigating the claims as a historian, he is shouting to the ancient world that he was writing about history that must not be ignored. It's history that makes all the difference. History indeed, but it is history that has an impact upon the present and upon eternity for every soul who lives. And friends, understand this. Just as Luke is shouting out this message that cannot be ignored, you cannot ignore Jesus. You must do something with Him. You do not get the privilege of ignoring Jesus and His claim to lordship on your life. You will either say, I believe who he is and I embrace Christianity, or you will reject it, but you do not get the privilege of ignoring it. You must decide where you stand when it comes to Jesus. Paul tells us in the Gospel of Luke his his purpose in writing. Let's, Let's look at it again. In these opening verses, let's just walk through them again. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to complete a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. In other words, there have been a lot of people that have written this, a lot of people that have talked about this. He says, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, ministers of the word, have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty. 
concerning the things you have been taught. That you may have certainty about these things. Let me ask you a question this morning. No, no church answers, no Sunday school answers. Let's just be real in your heart. Be real before God. Have you ever had doubts about Christianity? Has there ever been a time that you just thought, yeah, I just don't know. wonder what it's really all about. Is, is it really real? Is it really true? Has there ever been a moment that maybe as you're walking through the storms of life, you think, does it really make a difference? In all honesty, most people have been there. But most people have had those questions at one point or another, maybe multiple points throughout your life. You've wondered, does it make a difference? Is it real? Can we know that it's real? Luke is the place for you to be. Luke says the goal in writing all of this is that you might have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That's what Luke wants to accomplish Luke tells us that, that his purpose in writing is to pen an historical account which pr would provide a solid basis for the Christian faith. To say this is what Christianity teaches and you have a basis for believing it. You have a foundation for believing it. In other words, to convince Theophilus and also to convince us today of the truth of Christianity question comes, is it, is it important to seek to persuade people of the truth of Christianity? Is it important to, to present this in a way that people might be persuaded to come after Christ? Well, obviously Luke thinks, Luke thinks that it is. It's sad that many people think of, of Christianity as, as this blind leap of faith into the dark. A decision against the evidence or a decision without evidence from one extreme to another. And so Luke takes on this arduous task of researching out the events and the evidence. And he writes a 52-chapter, two-volume work to say, in essence, there is certainty in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can believe it. You can trust it. It's all for the purpose of pointing people to Jesus and what he has done. In fact, Luke the author of Acts, Luke is the one that comes into the region of Berea, and there the people are taught uh, from the, the, the Scriptures. They're taught the things of Christ. And listen to what Luke says about the Bereans when they tested even the apostles' teaching to be certain that it was true. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, Paul, uh, excuse me, Luke says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They weren't content just to listen to the preacher. They weren't content just to listen to the teacher. They wanted to be certain that it jihad with the word of God. And so they came back to the scriptures. And if there was at any point that they didn't align with the word of God, it was to be thrown away done away with. That we would have that kind of discernment in Christianity today, that when we would listen to people teach and preach, we would say, does this line up with the Word of God? And throw it out when it doesn't. 
I can tell you right now, our garbage cans would be overflowing with so much of the trash that we see in so many of the television preachers and the false teaching that's promulgated all throughout these places. Bring it to the Word of God. If it doesn't line up, throw it out. Luke didn't encourage just a blind leap of faith into the dark. Luke commended study. He commended investigation. Very much like Paul did to Timothy. We read from 2 Timothy a moment ago. Read from it again to what Paul says to Timothy. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. How does this happen? Rightly handling the word of truth. That's how it happens. How do you do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed? You do that by rightly handling the Word of God. Being a student of the Word of God. Bringing yourself under submission to the Word of God. To know what God's Word says and to live there within it. That's what we're called to do as Christians. That's what God has placed upon us in the imperative that we be a student of the Word of God, that we might handle it rightly. That's what God demands of us. In fact, Luke is the very same one. Writing in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1 verse 3, he talks about Jesus and he says that Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Presented, them, presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs. By many proofs. Jesus was concerned to give proof of the resurrection. Not a blind leap of faith into the dark, but a leap of faith built upon the facts, built upon the truth in what he's done and what he's accomplished. Friends, it is very important to seek to persuade people, to persuade people to the truth of Christianity, to let them know that Jesus Christ is the only hope that we have in this life and the life to come. We must be about the business of persuading people. find two extremes in in, in this oftentimes. There, There are those who who say, well, we just need to make a strong enough case, and when we make a strong enough case, people will come to faith in Christianity by the droves, and let's just present the evidence, therefore. And then there's the opposite extremes that says, no, don't worry about any evidence, you just tell the story, and everything else will be fine. I believe, friends, that there is a good balance between those two views, and I believe that the Gospel of Luke is the beginning point in finding that balance. You see, the problem is that if we do nothing but seek to present the proof, then everyone would be a Christian at this point because the proof is overwhelming. The evidence has been examined. It has been shown that it's reliable, that it's trustworthy, that it is true. But we must realize that we are totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit to open hearts, to open minds, to open lives, to open eyes, so that when we come with the proof of Christianity, praying through all of this, that the Spirit would use that to impact a person's heart and a person's life. In fact, this very same author, Luke, 
goes to such great lengths to present a reasoned and historical evidence for the faith, is also the one who stresses the work of the Holy Spirit more than any of the other gospel writers. You see the two combined there? Show the evidence. Give the proof. Do the investigation. And then throughout all of this, pray that the Spirit of God would open people's hearts and minds. Do not leave one of those two out. In fact, we read in Acts chapter 16, again, Luke writing. He says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. See, the Holy Spirit does not replace persuasive words. He empowers them. And He removes the things that keep people from giving heed to those words. So Christian, let's be about the business. Let's persuade people of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Know it, study it, examine it, and present it so that people might come to faith in Christ themselves. And let me just say to you today, if you today are not a believer, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, and you have questions about what all of this means, understand this, God is not afraid of your investigation. He is the truth. And if you with an open mind will come before this and seek to have understanding, I believe that God will reveal Himself to you. Don't just shut it out. Don't just listen to the questions. Ask them and get help from others. Any of our pastors, any of our deacons, any of our people here would love to speak with you further about what it means to be a Christian and about the claims of Jesus Christ. I mentioned Lee Strobel. I mentioned Josh McDowell. Let me mention another one to you, very pertinent to the Gospel of Luke. Sir William Ramsey has a PH, had his Ph.D. in chemistry. He was a Nobel Prize winner. He, he was a skeptic who set out to investigate the claims of Christ as well. And listen to what he writes. Luke's history is unsurpassed in respect to its trustworthiness. That's what you find here. Luke taking the events and presenting them that we might come to faith in Christ and be strengthened in our faith. Luke's account is reliable. Look again at verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Luke doesn't include anything that he hasn't traced back to a reliable source in some way, just like a good historian would do. If you're writing a biography, you just don't simply mention hearsay and legends. You research it to find out the truth. Did this really happen? As I said, Luke was a doctor, and, and you would expect a doctor to, to take such meticulous care of things, wouldn't you? I mean, isn't that what a doctor does? We place our lives in their hands. And when you listen to a doctor taking a case history, you know the extent of their thoroughness. Does this run in your family? 
Which side of your family? When did they contract it? Uh, And go through all of this history. Have you ever had this or this or this? Looking at everything that they can to get a picture of your health. Why are they so meticulous in these matters? Because life depends on it, that's why. So why would Luke be so meticulous in his gospel? Because life depends on it. Eternity depends upon it. After all, isn't that a basic qualification of a historian? Thorough research on the subject of your writing? He's used good sources. In fact, he's, he's used many of them. We, we read in the very first verse, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things. Many of them. There are stories about Jesus. All of this is readily available. Let's talk to the people who were there. Talk to the people who saw this. Let's piece together this biography. And in Luke chapter 1 verse 2, he talks about just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Eyewitnesses. They saw it. It's the very same thing that John talks about in his very first letter in 1 John chapter 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. The people who were there, the people who saw it, eyewitnesses to the events of Jesus Christ's life, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, they weren't making it up. They were making it plain because it was the most important message in all the world. Think about the difference that it made in their lives. Think just of the difference of the resurrection. After the crucifixion of Jesus, where were those apostles when the body of Jesus was taken down from the cross? Were they they out preaching in the synagogues? Were they out witnessing to their neighbors? Were they out on the streets proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Savior? No. They're hidden away in a room with the doors locked and bolted, fearful they might face the exact same fate as Jesus. When the women come from the tomb with the news of its emptiness, these same committed followers of Jesus declare that these women, they they must be out of their minds. Does this sound like a group of people who are just waiting to go out and tell the world about the reality of Jesus Christ? No. Describes a group of people that were disillusioned. They were were deflated. They were fearful. They were defeated. They were done. How do we arrive within just a few days and this same group in the streets of Jerusalem proclaiming this Jesus whom you have crucified, God has made him Lord and King. What produced that? What made the difference in this? Jesus appeared to them. That's what made the difference. And it made all of the difference to them. And as a result of that eyewitness encounter with Jesus, Peter says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to live and I'm going to die for Jesus. 
Everyone needs to know about him. Everyone needs to be confronted with the gospel that he has defeated death, that he has overcome sin, that heaven is our hope in him and only in him. The account is reliable. It's not a bunch of myths. It's not, it's not fairy tales. And I know every once in a while you'll run into people and they'll say, well, how in the world can somebody believe that? And it, it is the craziest thing to me. Some of the shows that you find on television, Long Island Medium, this, this other guy that, that meets down, sits down with celebrities and tells them uh, things in their life that they've, that, that, that they've come back from the dead to reveal to him so he can share to them. And I look at this and they say the gospel is unbelievable? Seriously? See, friends, understand, we live in a world, we live in a climate, we live in a culture that is spiritually sensitive. Oh, they're into spiritual things. We've just got to direct them to the gospel to understand this is truth. That other stuff is a hoax. It's nothing but that. What people need is certainty. The certainty of the gospel. It's interesting that that, that word certainty that you find in verse 4, it appears the very last word in this long Greek sentence. The, these four verses, one sentence in the Greek language. And that word certainty is the very last word, and it is placed there for emphasis. We want you to be certain of what Christ has done. You see, Luke, Luke has an emphasis upon salvation unlike any of the other gospel writers. In fact, the word is not even used in Matthew and Mark. It's only used once in the gospel of John. Luke uses the word five times, and he uses the phrase to save more than any of the other gospel writers. And he emphasizes, as we'll discover as we make our way through this, that salvation is available for all. It's available not just for the Jews, but it's available for the Gentiles like the Samaritans. We see the work of Christ with, with women in that culture. It, it was that women were looked down upon. They, they were, they were a, 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 just an outcast nearly of society. We see the emphasis upon the poor within the Gospel of Luke. We see emphasis on babies and children, those that society would cast out, those that society would consider insignificant, those that the religious establishment would not welcome. Luke wants you to know that the offer of salvation is available to everyone, even those that, that society and culture would have nothing to do with. And friends, let that be encouraging to you today. Because if the offer of salvation is available for everyone, that means that it's available for you as well. And we have the promise of His Word that He will not turn away any who come after Him. He'll embrace you. He'll forgive you. He'll save you if you will come to Him. Luke is a historian making you certain about the gospel. 
Luke is a theologian touching you with, with God's love and grace extended to those that others wouldn't extend it. Luke is a doctor, doctor of souls, helping you to love and care for people. Christian, may I say to you today, we know the object and the goal of our life is to be like Christ. We know that that's what God desires within us, is to make us like Jesus. There's no way to do that other than to know who Jesus is and what He's like. And I wonder today, I wonder today, Christian, if God is not going to use this very study to make us more and more and more like Jesus. I think that He will if we allow Him to do so. But Christian, can I ask you one other thing? Luke took the time, invested the energy and the resources to put together this two-volume work on who Jesus is and what He has done and how the Spirit has grown the church in the book of Acts. So that this man, Theophilus, might have certainty about the gospel. Can I ask you a question? For whom would you invest the time and energy to present Jesus? Will you be willing to, to inconvenience yourself at times in order to present Jesus to others? Would you be willing to do the, 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 the search and, and discover the questions and answer them to help someone come to know Jesus? You know, one of the things that, that we hear more often than any other thing when it comes to, to witnessing, to evangelism, to presenting the gospel, one of the things we hear more often than anything else, it, 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 it comes up in two ways. Number one, I just don't know what to say. Or number two, I'm afraid they'll have a question that I don't have an answer for. So what? Do you have an answer for every question that's asked? If you do, well, you need to be up here. Certainly not me. I don't have an answer for every question asked. But you know what I've discovered is when people ask a question, if I'm just honest enough with them to say, you know what, I don't know. Let me see what I can find out. And come back to them. I've never had one person say, ha, gotcha. I say, okay, we'll talk about it later. Cool. So let's research it. Let's find some answers. But, but can I kind of get in your face just a little bit before we close? Christian, quit using that as a cop-out. Study it. Research it. Discover the answers that you can and be ready to present it when others ask their questions. 
present the opportunity to present it and discover their questions. Life depends on it. Now, having spoken to us as believers, can I just say to you who are non-believers today, if, if you're not a Christian, you've never trusted in Christ for salvation, we discover that Luke's desire in writing his gospel, and it's my desire for you as well, is that you might be saved. That you might come to know this Jesus who took your sin upon Himself, who went to the cross and died the death that we deserve. This Jesus who was buried. This Jesus who on the third day was raised back to life. This same Jesus who has ascended to the Father and has promised that one day He's returning for His people. When that is, I don't know. But what I know is it's closer now than it's ever been. Your date with eternity is closer at this moment than it's ever been in your history. Ever. You need to make sure you're ready for that. And so like Luke, I want you to know Jesus Christ and be saved by Him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we, we come in this moment having opened Your Word to, to even these introductory phrases. We see the meticulous nature with which Luke investigated these claims and the meticulous nature with which you preserved them and led him in the writing of them. And so, Father, for that we thank you. And I pray for us as believers today that this would be a day of fresh surrender from us. That we would realize the urgency of the task. And that we would become serious about the presentation of the gospel. And that you would give us many opportunities to do that. I pray today, Father, for those who are non-believers, those who have never trusted in Christ, who are among our midst this, this morning, I pray for them, Father, that even in this moment, you might just, just reach down and pierce their hearts and open them up to the truth of Jesus Christ. That they might realize their need for salvation. And I pray today would be a day of confession and repentance on their part, Father. As you lead them, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.